Uh, welcome to your first uh, seminar of this summer conference. Um, you made an excellent choice. I promise you won't regret it. Um, we are talking about the kingdom of God. Um, my name is Jonathan Davis, and I am the campus minister at the University of Kentucky. Um, there should be two uh, handouts going around, one stapled copy, and then there's a resources list. Uh, make sure you have both of those. I think extras are in the back. Um, so if y'all in the back could point to anyone else that comes in to those, that would be great. Um, Alright, so uh, let me tell you a little bit about me, and then we'll introduce this topic, and then we'll dive into our day one material. We're in here till 10.15. I am going to work to save time um, for questions. At the end, if you have questions uh, throughout Sonar, just raise your hand and interrupt me. Um, Alright, so uh, I'm at UK, just finished my fifth year at UK, and um, love it there, love RUF. Uh, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, which is like a foreign country in most RUF services. Anyone from Kansas City, Missouri, or just Missouri in general? Alright, cool, awesome, great. I don't feel so alone now. Uh, grew up in Kansas City, did not grow up in a Christian home, didn't grow up going to church, it was not like a part of the Bible Belt, um, and you were like either a Christian or you weren't, and I was not, my family, we, we, we just weren't Christians, and so um, came to know the Lord in high school through Young Life, any Young Lifers out there, yeah, um, I owe it all to Young Life, um, my, I'm one of two sons, and my brother and I both were converted in high school through Young Life. Um, went to TCU uh, for college. Any TCU folks out there? All right, awesome, great. Uh, so when I was at TCU uh, was when I got involved with RUF, and uh, it was huge for me. I, I mean, I, I knew the Lord going into college, but um, RUF helped me understand grace, I think. Um, and I got really close to my campus minister and made like some of my best friends through RUF, and it was just a huge uh, formative time for me spiritually. Um, worked out in the world for about three years after college, met my wife Erin, and we got married and we moved to St. Louis, Missouri, where I went to Covenant Seminary. Um, we have uh, two kids, Caroline is six, Margaret is three. They're here this week. This is their, this is our collectively as a family, our favorite week of the year. This is my daughter's for sure favorite week of the year. Um, like I said, I've been at UK for five years. That's sort of the rundown, um, the boring stuff, uh, things that I love. I love running, um, and I have like conflicting hobbies because I really love donuts too. Uh, so I just have to figure out how those things work together. Um, I love sandwiches. I'm a big fan of sandwiches. Um, I think they're amazing. Uh, I think it's hard to beat. I, I don't know there's a better food group than sandwiches. Uh, uh, I love Netflix also. Um, kind of all, you know, um, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, all those shows that I, that I can't recommend to you. They're very good shows. You um, watch. Um, love Anthony Bourdain. Anything Anthony Bourdain is fascinating to me. Um, on a lot of levels. Uh, there's a show on Netflix, um, it's like a mini-series called Cooked, with Michael Pollan, who is like kind of 
becoming my man crush. Um, I started baking bread recently because of him. Um, so um, that's a little bit about me. Um, we're talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump in. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for bringing us here. Um, it is a gift to be here, uh, to think about the all the things that had to come into place for us to be in this room. Um, for us to be introduced to you and to RUF in some way, um, have enough of a relationship to a campus minister or an intern or another student, to think that coming to a beach retreat for a week with these people would not be crazy. Um, the financial provision to register and, and to travel and to be here. Um, Lord, we're so grateful. This is amazing. Um, we pray that you do far more than we could ask or imagine this week um, in our hearts as we encounter you um, through your word and seminars and, and in large group, in our small groups and conversations and fellowship with one another. Um, Lord, would you um, bring your shalom, bring your peace in our hearts and our lives. Uh, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, that, that we would um, be uh, bearers of this kingdom uh, this week and as we return to whatever you have for us this summer. Lord, I, I pray for those who are terrified being here, who are unsure of what they believe, who are insecure about what they believe, who have uh, doubts they have yet to voice. Um, I pray that you would give them your peace, that you would uh, help them to feel that this is a safe place. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to not be convinced. It's okay to be where they are, or may they know that. Um, Father, we give you the seminar. We pray that we would know more of you and your word through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, as I mentioned, there should be handouts in the back. Um, are there still some handouts back there on the chair? Okay, cool. Um, great. Uh, Alright, so, uh, um, why the kingdom of God? Why does this matter? Why would we have a seminar on this? We've never had a seminar on this before. Why now? Why are we doing this? Um, you, if you have any experience with the Bible, uh, you may have like heard Jesus talk about um, the kingdom. Uh, especially like in parables, where he says the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like dot dot dot. And then he tells this really confusing story where like, that doesn't help me. I don't, like, that makes me more confused. Um, or maybe you've just been around um, the church or RUF and you've heard um, this kingdom of God language. And you're like, what is that? I, I don't really know. Um, there may be a number of reasons why you're here. Um, but we're talking about the kingdom of God because it's a major theme of the Bible. It's a major theme of the Bible. It could be argued that it's the theme of the Bible. Um, that, it, that it helps us not only understand uh, the Bible itself, but our entire world. Uh, and, and namely, what, what has gone wrong with our world, and what God is doing about that, and actually how he's going about um, fixing a broken world. Um, in John chapter 3, Jesus says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? So, uh, it's, uh, let, let me just keep going, right? Uh, there's, a, there's a few other quotes on here that I want you to think about. Um, and I'm, I'm going to give you some concrete definitions, but know that this, this is kind of a four-day definition of the kingdom of God. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to define in some ways. So, 
think that'll make more sense as we go through. Um, look at this uh, first quote on your handout uh, from Robert Farrar Capone in there. It says, If I were forced to give a short answer to the question, what is the Bible as a whole about? I think I would ignore all the subjects mentioned so far and base my reply squarely on those parables. He's talking about the kingdom parables. He says, if they have a single subject at all, it is quite plainly the kingdom of God, a mystery that by definition is something well hidden and not at all likely to be grasped by plausibility-loving minds. Uh, so we're talking about something in this seminar that is well hidden uh, and hard to grasp. Okay? Then he goes on uh, talking about the mystery of, of the kingdom of God, which again maybe is why you chose this seminar. It's like, I think I felt, I feel like I should know what that means, but I don't really know what that means. Like if I had to explain it to somebody, I don't think I could do that. So um, Capone, again, he says, the mystery of the kingdom, it seems, is a radical mystery. Even when you tell people about it in so many words, it remains permanently intractable to all their attempts to make sense of it. Um, so this is what we're going to be talking about this week, something that is nearly impossible to make sense of. Um, so just huge disclaimer up front on a few different levels. Um, I am definitely not an expert on this. I do not have all the answers. Um, what I'm trying to do is merely introduce y'all um, to this theme of the kingdom of God in the Bible. Um, so what this means is not only that I don't have all the answers, I reserve the right to say I don't know, um, and I also reserve the right to respond to my favorite answer, which is ask your campus minister. Uh, so uh, so don't, don't be surprised if you hear me say that. What this also means is that it's okay that you, um, that you may not know what we're talking about. Uh, that's okay. Don't be afraid to ask questions, um, either publicly or, or afterwards, or if, if find me around, and I'd love to chat more about what we're talking about here. But I would say as a, as a disclaimer for this entire week, um, it's okay to, to not know. And it's okay to have honest questions. And this is a really beautiful, safe place to, um, to bring those questions. Uh, on the drive down, I was listening to a, a Fresh Air interview with Tom Hanks. Um, Tom Hanks fans? He's kind of traumatic, but I'm a fan. Um, but he has this—he he had this amazing thing to say during this interview. You know, obviously he's very successful um, as a director and as an actor and, and all these things. And, and he says to Terry Gross, his interview. I mean, he says, you know, um, I, I, I know the feeling of having to act in a scene at three o'clock the next afternoon. And knowing that I'm going to have to bring sort of an emotional presence to that scene. And he, and he said, my fear is that if I can't bring that honest emotional presence into that scene, that I'm going to have to fake it. And my fear in faking it is that I'm going to be found out. He said, because my greatest fear, and I think all of our greatest fear, is that I'm going to be found out to be a fraud. Uh, that, I'm, that I'm not going to be someone, um, that I'm not going to be who people think I am and who people want me to be. He said, I think we all have that fear. We're afraid of being found out as a fraud. I know that certainly resonates with me. That may resonate with you. But I would say this week that uh, it's okay to embrace the fact that we're kind of all frauds, right? That we don't, uh, we're not exactly who we want to be. And we're not exactly who we think people want us to be. And that's okay. So uh, bring your questions, uh, not just to the seminar, but to, to, to this week as a whole. Um, all right, so you also have a... Um, a resources uh, page, which I apologize for you English majors that like my format is like not legit at all. Uh, so I'll your hand on this. Um, I tried to like 
put the titles in italics. I think you're supposed to do that. I might get the second line. Uh, but that, that's kind of where I stop. Uh, so, sorry about that. Um, I'm going to um, reference these resources a few times throughout the week. So, so hang on to that. Um, I, I put in bold, I, I would say like if you're going to like pick up one book, which I don't know if these are on the book table, um, about the kingdom of God, I would say one of those, you can find on Amazon, obviously. Um, those are going to give you the best overview of what we're talking about. And much of my material is pulled from those books. Um, so I'd recommend those to you. Another one I'd recommend to you, especially if you're new or exploring Christianity, or like um, maybe you were raised in church and you just still don't really know a lot about the Bible, which is pretty common. Um, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Um, basically anything by Sally Lloyd-Jones is amazing. But the Jesus Storybook Bible is great. because that um, We're going to take a big picture view of the kingdom this week. And, and reading her children's Bible um, will actually really help you grasp sort of the framework of the scripture. So I'd recommend that to you. Um, there's another one I'd recommend that's not on here that is on the book table called Desiring the Kingdom. Desiring the Kingdom by James K.A. Smith. James K.A. Smith, Desiring the Kingdom. There are a few in the book table. Uh, that, that'll fit more in sort, sort, of, sort of the day three, day four, where we're talking about um, Jesus as the king of the kingdom, what it means for us as his church to, to embody this kingdom, uh, to be an outpost for the kingdom of God, and, and what that looks like. So um, I'll reference that more. Um, all right, let's, let's jump in with some, with some definitions here of this um, mysterious, uh, well-hidden um, idea of the kingdom God. Um, so these are going to be some concrete definitions that I want to help set a framework for you. Yeah, you got a question. Before we dive in, can we like turn that AC thing, or like turn the thing up a little bit? It's cold? Yeah, Hot. it's chilly. Okay. It's cold, yeah. Thanks. Like, four notches. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> I'm kind of experiencing a full range of temperature up here. So. <laughs> okay, a few definitions for you on the kingdom of God. Uh, the first one, uh, it's God's manifested rule on earth and in heaven, both within and without, should be his, not his, his ecclesia, or his church. God's manifested rule on earth and in heaven, both within and without, his church. Next definition, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. We'll come back to that one a lot, that's a good one. Another one from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, which I'm sure you guys brought with you. Each <laughs> the kingdom of God means primarily the rule of God, the divine kingly authority. One from Richard Pratt. By the way, um, there's some lectures that, that's on your resource, resource page. There's some lectures along PDFs available online. Um, if you want to hear a really great understanding of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, but in that he says, Scripture refers to the kingdom of God in two primary ways. On one side, on the one side, it often speaks of God's kingdom in terms of God's unwavering sovereignty or his unchanging rule over all of creation. It also refers to his unfolding kingdom and the way God has revealed his kingship throughout human history. Okay, so it's, it's God's manifested rule, God's people and God's place under God's rule and blessing. It's the divine kingly authority of God we're talking about. It's God's unwavering sovereignty. It's God's unfolding kingdom. 
These are some concrete categories. And Tim Keller gives us um, sort of a big picture overview. It says that creation, we were made for God's kingdom and his kingliness. And sin is, or sin results in idolatry, worshiping of another king, causing enslavement. Israel is, and the Old Testament people of God, Israel is looking for a true judge or a true king. And Jesus is the returning true king who frees us from the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The, the enslavement to another king. And restoration is true freedom under the reign of God, our true king. Okay, so we're going to approach um, this week, um, which which Ray mentioned this last night. Uh, you may be familiar with these categories, you may not, but super helpful. Creation, fall, redemption, we'll call it consummation, you could call this restoration, restoration, you could call this rebellion. Okay, so we're going to, um, so we're going to approach each day this week, uh, day one, day two, day three, day four, um, these, um, TBD on like what day we cover those because I've never done this seminar before and so I'm not sure how long the content is going to take to work through, but that's the direction that we're headed, um, and, uh, what I want to talk about today is the, as you can see in your hand, is the establishment of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God established at creation. I want us to see the Bible, begin to see this trajectory of the whole Bible through this lens of the kingdom. This actually is a huge key in helping us understand what the Bible is all about. Um, if you've ever seen Breaking Bad, um, then you, you can jump into Breaking Bad like a couple seasons in, right? And, and you can sort of go with it like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And you can sort of pick up on some storylines and things like that. But you've got to go back to the very first episode, and you've, you've got to see that when Walter White is diagnosed with cancer, the reason he gets in um, to, uh, you know, to, to cooking meth, right, is, is so he can essentially put away money for his family after he passes away, because, because he's this teacher, science teacher's not making much money, and so what starts this crazy trajectory, which makes up the next five seasons of this show, is like this this really good thing, right? Which is so ironic that, he, that he, he wanted to provide for his family. He wanted to care for his family by making some extra money. And he was like, I'm going to die anyways. Uh, you know, it's already a big problem out there. What, what does it matter? Um, if you know that, then that's the key to understand the entire show, especially like the season finale and some of the conversations that he has with those close to him at the very end. Um, it's sort of like uh, the Sixth Sense kind of throwback. Y'all seen the Sixth Sense? You know, it was like huge like when I was younger, so... I feel like it's a bit dated, but um, very creepy movie, very troubling. Um, but there's this boy in the sixth sense, right, that sees dead people. Um, and once you, you find that out and you sort of get to the big plot twist towards the end of the movie, then you can go back and rewatch the sixth sense, and you're like, oh, this makes so much sense now. Like, this is so interesting because you can see, like, how this worked out and who was dead and who was alive the entire time, where the first time through you don't know. Um, Y'all, the kingdom of God is, is the key to sort of unlocking how we understand the big picture story of the Bible. Uh, where if you, if you have the lens through which to see the kingdom of God, it will make sense of so much of Scripture. 
Um, and if you're a big picture person, which I am very much a big picture person, um, then, then it, it is so helpful for giving you categories or hooks to think through uh, what scripture means and, and what we're called to as Christians and as the church and things like that. So, um, primary scripture for today, Genesis 1 2. The theme I want you to take away from today is that God established his kingdom at creation. Uh, that, that God created the world um, as his kingdom over which he is the sovereign king. It's a quote from Williams. It says, in the beginning, God created the kingdom of God. In Genesis 1, we are not just told that God created all things. What is revealed first and foremost is the kingdom of God. Alright, so how is the kingdom revealed in the creation of all things? What does this creation account tell us about how God establishes his kingdom? You'll see where we're going here. First, we see that God speaks things into existence. Uh, if you have a Bible or a phone, um, let's look at Genesis chapter 1. A lot of the scriptures will be printed on your handout. Some of it I'll just reference, that kind of thing. So you could have a Bible or phone around. Um, God speaks things into existence as the king speaking things into existence in his kingdom. Look at, at Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So immediately we have a king who speaks into existence all things in his kingdom. He is the sovereign one. He is the creator. Um, this is like um, the, the, uh, the, 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 the much lesser equivalent of, of the Hey Siri feature on your phone. I was expecting my phone to answer me back on that. Um, but it did, right? You're driving, and, and you can just say, hey, Siri. And she'll respond, and you can actually like text people and like, get directions and things like that through your phone. You speak, and it happens, right? Because Apple is amazing. Um, <laughs> y'all, in, in, in Genesis 1, the creator, God, speaks, and things happen. God speaks things into existence in his kingdom. Secondly, God is pictured as king over his creation in his resting. In his resting. This is interesting. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is after God creates all things and Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's a theme um, in, in the Hebrew language of um, of kings resting in and over uh, and being seated on their throne as a, a similar range of meaning in the Hebrew word there, of being seated um, in their kingdom, being seated over their kingdom, of resting in the midst of their kingdom, uh, that is just entrenched in kingly language. 
that the original readers would have, would have immediately had their ears open. Oh, this is this is king language here. This is kingdom language that's being talked about. And you see this in a, in a few other places in Scripture. You see on your handout, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Psalm 29, verse 10. The Lord sits enthroned. The city of sitting enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Hebrews 8.1, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Hebrews 10.12 But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. So there's this image of being seated um, in this kingly position of, of resting in and over the kingdom that's talked about. And we see that even in the creation account where God establishes His kingdom. Third thing we see at the establishment of the kingdom is that God's creation is good. God's creation is good. Um, let's look again at the refrain throughout Genesis 1. We just saw this. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the heavens. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. There was evening, there was morning, second day. And it goes on um, throughout uh, with this refrain of, and God saw that it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then he gets to humanity, says that it's very good. Uh, but God's creation, God creates, he speaks things in, into existence, and he declares them to be good. We'll just quote from Von Roberts in your handout. In his grace, God decided to put things right again. He is determined not to do only the job. His plan of salvation includes everything spiritual and physical. God made everything in the beginning and He will redeem everything in the end. God made everything in the beginning. That's what I want you all to see there. And He's redeeming all of it. And not to jump ahead, we're going to get to that. Um, but this is to say that, that creation, the created things, stuff, is good. It's all part of God's kingdom that He has made. And he is declared to be good. God speaks things into existence as a king over his kingdom. God is pictured as king over his creation, is resting, and is sitting in, sitting over his kingdom. God's creation is good. Fourth thing I want us to see, God creates humans as his kingly image bearers. His kingly image bearers. Um, look at the 
passage from Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Um, I'll just say to bring your uh, ideas of yourself um, and, and how you think about humanity and people. Uh, are we good? Are we bad? Um, are we neutral? Are we um, utterly worthless? Are we so sinful that we're, we're, we're nothing? Uh, how do you think about yourself? How do you think about people? And, and let's look at, let me read Genesis 1, 26-28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is a really important passage of Scripture. That um, So maybe uh, you were raised around... Um, Reformed theology, or maybe just in college, sort of. Maybe I said, and you're like, I don't even know what that means. That's okay. Um, but maybe, like, you, you know what that means, and, like, it's like your thing, right? And, like, that's what you um, really love about RUF. I think we can have a, a tendency to sort of begin, um, to begin the story of the Bible right here, where we, we sort of begin thinking about who we are as people by sin. We think we're first and foremost wretched sinners who are worthless and who stand condemned. We're going to talk about sin, and that's a big deal. Um, but we've got to start where God starts in His Word at creation. And, and what is declared of us at creation is that we are image bearers, that we have great dignity, that we have great value. Um, and this is huge, y'all. This is really huge, really important to, to think through. Um, all right, so this question, this, these implications here, I want to talk through this for a minute. What does the establishment of God's kingdom at creation mean for you, mean for me? It means that you are a kingly image bearer. You're a kingly image bearer, and therefore you have tremendous inherent dignity. You are not first and foremost a wretched sinner who is worthless and has nothing to offer. You are first and foremost an image bearer. One created by God with great value and great dignity. This is a really big deal. I want you to think for a minute about um, where, where you get um, your idea of, of self-worth. What, of what makes you valuable. Of what makes, of what gives you dignity, of what makes you okay to be you. Maybe you even hear me say that and you're like, I, nothing. I, I don't feel okay being me. I don't feel like I have any dignity. I don't feel valuable. All I feel is shame. All I feel is like I'm a fraud, like I'm trying to put forward some image, like I am okay, like I am valuable. How, how do you try to prove yourself to have value and dignity with others? Uh, maybe it's with your appearance. Right, like no more insecure place to be than on the beach. Like you might be secretly like dreading this afternoon. Like you want to go on the beach, but you're like, I don't want to like be me in my body on the beach. And because for you, so much of uh, of how you how you try to give yourself value and dignity is, is just through your appearance or through your body. 
Maybe it's through things like sex, where um, if, I, if I can give other people, if I can give my body to other people in order to, 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 feel, to please them, maybe then I will feel valuable, like I'm worth something. Um, maybe it's through like having um, all the right opinions about the right things. Right? Maybe you're sort of intellectually inclined and, and you think, you know what, I can be somebody if I just know exactly how to think about all the right things. If I can figure out the right opinions to have that are always better, always more enlightened, you know, always more nuanced than everyone else, then, then I'll be valuable, then I'll have dignity. Maybe it's just, just this constant quest of approval for others where um, sort of everything is, is on the table uh, if it means you might be approved of by others, where like you're just this chameleon that, that can change into whatever you need to be that day in order to please those around you. And that makes you feel worthy. That makes you feel like you have dignity or value. Y'all, Genesis 1, 26-28 says, none of those things are what give you your dignity and your value. It says that the fact that God has made you in His image after His likeness is what gives you your dignity and your value. But even, yes, you are a sinner, yes, you have rebelled against God, and yes, you are dead in sin until the Spirit brings you to life. But even in that state, even after Genesis 3, which we're going to talk about, um, God's Word still refers to us as not losing this, this image-bearer status. We're still image-bearers. Christian and non-Christian alike still bear the image of God. So do you. You have inherent dignity. Another implication is you have a glorious vocation. And we're going to talk about that on a few different levels. Part of it, for sure, um, we're going to talk some about your major, your job, and things like that, and what that means, and, and future family, that sort of thing. But, but even just this, this vocation here, which we which just talked about, you're sort of given this glorious kingly mission. What some call the cultural mandate. There, so what's the mission? That all of us have. Verse 128. Be fruitful and multiply. Right? So there's this, this idea of um, we are what we could call vice regents, right? For this great king. And, and the king has told us, alright, go create more vice regents. Go create more that will rule and subdue and steward this earth to bring about my reign here. Um, create more that will be like me. There's the mission of ruling and subduing, verse 28. There's the mission of working and keeping the garden in um, chapter 2, 4 through 9, 15 through 17. Let me read those for us. These are generations of the heavens and the earth, and when they, uh, when they were created in the days that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, the Lord God had not caused it to rain in the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God uh, planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground uh, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to, uh, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, 
But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, and that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. There is um, inherent in how we were created this mission to be creators, right? To be creative, um, to bring about structure where there is not structure, to bring about um, order where there is not order, to to, to, to subdue where there it, things have not been subdued, to um, continue this pattern of where God created all things good. But he didn't create all things complete. He gave us this beautiful mission of, hey, I've given you this good creation to work with. Now go, um, honor me, image me by creating, by subduing, by bringing about order uh, with what I've given you. Um, Y'all, and this, this is where you can really begin to dream about what does that look like for me as an image bearer of the king in his kingdom to create and to subdue, and to steward, and to work as an accountant, as a teacher, um, as, as a doctor, as, um, you know, as a chef. Fill in the blank. Uh, think about your degree program. Your, um, what you're studying is not somehow outside of God's kingdom, uh, or outside of God's work. Um, what you're dreaming about, right, even if, if you're dreaming about something that's not like ministry, or like being a missionary, right? Like, that's still, um, that. this is what God is, is speaking into right here, to go into that thing that you're passionate about, where you're gifted, and where you have desire, and where you have opportunity, to create, and to structure, and to bring order, and to subdue, and to rule, and, and, and to be a vice-regent uh, in this kingdom, of which your king has called you to bear his image. And that's huge. We'll talk more about uh, what that looks like, uh, particularly day, day two and day three. It's hard to get a big picture of this stuff because we could jump into a lot of, like in some ways, I'm going to say stuff in this seminar that are, it's going to kind of be heard in every other seminar because this is a big picture deal. And also the mission of, of naming the animals that we see in Genesis 2, 18 through 20. All right, I'm going to try to um, give us some some summary categories um, for day one, and then we'll have time for the Q&A. Um, so, what is this kingdom like at creation? Again, here we are, the first chapter of four chapters of the Bible and of all of human history. Um, we, we see our relationship to God, right? We see it as it should be. Where he is our king, we are his vice-regents, we are his subjects in perfect relationship with him, um, in submission to him. Um, he is our creator. We are his creatures, right? Um, we bow the knee to him in a kingly sense. Uh, we serve him. We are about our king's mission. Uh, we do what the king does in the world. Uh, we imitate him. We reflect him. We commune with our king. We see our relationship to each other. We see as it should be where there is no, no brokenness, no strife, no misunderstanding, no abuse, um, no manipulation. But there is only perfect peace, perfect shalom in how we relate to one another, perfect understanding, perfect um, connection, perfect intimacy that we can have with another person. Uh, we see that in creation. We see that with Adam and Eve. Then we see at creation our relationship to the world around us as it should be. 
where, um, where it's not just like we sit back and do nothing, but we're blessed with this kingly mission of subduing, of creating, of working, uh, of, of being a blessing, of cultivating um, what, what has been placed before us. A few summary quotes on there. We are made for God. We are also made for one another. We are made to care for the creation and to work within it. The Bible depicts the created material world as a very theater of God's glory. It is a kingdom over which God reigns. Another quote. The man and the woman are produced children from their one flesh union. And these future generations will spread out to care for and to rule over the earth. The work of Adam and Eve in the glorious garden God made marks the beginning of a long process by which their descendants are to develop the riches of creation. Isn't that a great image? Their descendants are to develop the riches of creation. Adam and Eve's royal stewardship of Eve forms a microcosm of what God intends to happen to the whole world, to the whole creation as history unfolds. That is beautiful. Adam and Eve's royal stewardship of Eve forms a microcosm of what God intends to happen to the whole creation as history unfolds. Um, your major, your job, your future family, this is all a part of this kingly mission that God has called you into. A few more summary quotes. <clears throat> we see in the garden, think about the de- how we define the kingdom of God at the beginning of today. We see in the Garden of Eden a pattern of the kingdom of God. God's people, Adam and Eve, live in God's place, the Garden of Eden, under God's rule. As a result, they enjoy God's blessing. And again, Von Roberts, to live under God's rule means to enjoy God's blessing. The two go together. That is what we see at the creation in the Garden of Eden until the fall. But then human beings disobey God and forego his blessing. The consequences are devastating, not just for humanity, but for the whole creation. Everything is spoiled. But in his great love, God promises to put things right again and to reestablish his kingdom on earth. The rest of the Bible tells the story of the fulfillment of that promise, partially in Israel's history, in the Old Testament period, and then perfectly through Jesus Christ. So the Bible is about God's plan of salvation, his promise to restore his kingdom. And then, uh, and then the fulfillment of that promise through his son, Jesus. And lastly, from Mike Williams. The great teaching of Genesis 1 is that God is a majestic king over his world. The creation story proclaims his authority as well as his power. All things do his bidding, answer his command, and bend to his decree. God not only creates, but also names the creatures he speaks into being. The day, night, sky, land, sun, moon, sea, man. To have the right to assign a name is to exercise the right of lordship, authority, and possession. By naming his creatures, God declares his kingly rights over them. The proclamation of kingship, the right to rule over his creation kingdom, makes Genesis 1 a most fitting prologue to the entire Pentateuch which is itself dominated by the covenant, the administration of the kingdom of God. It's a great quote that comes from Far As the Curse is Found by Mike Williams, which should be on the book, book table. All right. What questions um, popped into your mind?
says this. This is talking about preeminence of Christ. This is talking about Jesus, which is really, really beautiful. It gives us a big view of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. It's talking about Jesus as creator, which we don't often think in those categories. 
He's before all things, in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by blood of his cross. It's Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Um, yeah, that, that Jesus was king before things were created. That, that the kingdom, though, was established at creation. Um, but yeah, I think I think I would just say I would say just that that um, his kingdom was established when things were created. He was king before that, um, but the, the kingdom over which he reigns, he created when he created all things. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, it's just kind of mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is mind blowing. Yeah, good question. Other questions? Yeah. Um, if we look at the definitions here, uh-huh. there's like I see kind of two different ones. It's talking about God's rule and then God's people. Yeah. And I was wondering how those fit together. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, yeah. That and that's um, this is where we're we're entering into the realm of sort of how Capone talks about the great mystery of, of the kingdom. That the, the more we try. Um, it, it's hard to get our he- head around, right? And so it's sort of the answer is sort of yes. Like it, they, they are sort of, it is sort of both. It, it's um, it's God's manifested rule on earth and in heaven. Um, it's the kingdom of God is is God's people and God's place and are God's rule and blessing. Um, yeah, and then the Pratt definition I think is helpful. On the one side, it often speaks of God's kingdom in terms of God's unwavering sovereignty, his rule, his control, his direction of all things, his unchanging, yeah, his unchanging rule of creation. It also refers to the unfolding kingdom in the way that um, God has revealed his kingship throughout human history. So, um, so in some ways, I just want to say, yes, that those things are both present. And scripture speaks to the kingdom of God in both of those ways. To maybe tie them together a little bit more, I would say that God's rule um, is... Most it is is seen when his people embody his kingdom values. Does that make sense? So when the people of God, when Christians live as Christians, they're embodying the values of the kingdom, and therefore they're a reflection of, of this kingdom that is coming, is broken into this world. Um, and so God's rule is, is manifested um, in and through his people. For his kingdom is not like his kingdom is not like that building over there, right? His kingdom is where his people live out his kingdom values. That's, that's how the kingdom comes. And that's why these parables in the New Testament, which like, if you're looking for some beach reading, look, read Matthew 13, where Jesus gives us these mind-blowing parables where it says the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. It's like a mustard seed. Or it's like this field where... Uh, some guy realizes there's some treasure in it, so he sells what he has, and he buys a field, and he digs up the treasure. Like, huh? The seed in the field? And you have to sort of sit in it and think, wow, okay. Um, the, 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 it's, it's, it's upside down. Now, it's, it's, it's an upside down kingdom. It is not what we expect. It is not, um, it is not like how we think about kingdoms in, in this world and, and how it comes, how it comes to bear, particularly in the redemption of the kingdom, which we'll talk about. Um, it's, it's not it's not expected. It's mind blowing, if you will. Other questions? 
Um, I'm a big fan of, of, of takeaways, just to hear sort of what um, what you're thinking about as you leave here. I'd love to hear from a couple of y'all what what stood out to you, what um, what piqued your interest, what's on your mind as you, as you leave day one from this seminar. Yeah. I really like hearing about how um, we're all contributing to the kingdom yeah. through all our different vocations. Yeah. Um, because even if you're doing something that's not like missions work, you can right. still live out um, and be like an image bearer of God where you are. Yes. Just to, like the people that you work with, but then also your job is like hopefully making, like having a positive impact on the world, like whether you're an engineer or like right. you work in HR or something. Yeah. Um, and then, um, I just like, I like hearing about the inherent dignity yes. of the people. It's like really, really cool. Yes. Amen. That's good. That's good. Yeah, you were better. Yeah. I just, I, I really like that you pointed out that we often start with the fall. Yeah. And we don't really think about the inherent dignity that she was talking about and yeah. how that, the fall isn't what started the Bible, that started yes. creation good. It's huge, y'all. And I, like this, this shapes how we think about. So, if you identify as a Christian and uh, Jesus is the most central part of your life, um, which I think is a great definition of what it means to be a Christian, and maybe you're not there, and that, that's fine. But I would say if you are there um, and you think about those who are not Christians and maybe who who live lives that are very much opposed to this kingdom ethic, right? The values of the kingdom. It's very easy to just like um, think about those people as um, as merely just wretched sinners who, who don't get it like we do. But actually, this says something different. It, yeah, it, it does say that they, like us, are wretched sinners that don't get it. But it also says that they're they're they have great dignity and value, and that that, that this means that no matter what a person believes. Or what view, particular views a person have, has that they have great dignity and value. So not, this isn't just good for for us as we think about ourselves and also our own shame issues, right? Like this is huge for how we treat other people, especially those with, with very different views for us. I mean, we're we're in a pretty calm, respectful political environment right now, um, where uh, <laughs> it's, uh, no, like ima- like imagine if like if like this idea of like people having different views had still have like great dignity and value was like embodied on a political level and God's kingdom is at hand, right? Um, yeah. Well love your like one or two other takeaways. We'll be done. Um, yeah. I like the the uh, well hiddenness of it. Like, yeah. I mean, just the fact that it's mysterious. Yes. Um and it's something that draws me to it a lot, but it, there's definitely a question that I've had answered before, but like it's kind of like like why is it so small and secretive? You know, like yes. Jesus is doing his thing, and it's like a mustard seed. You know, it could be a, a bigger, a bigger, bigger seed. Yes. Yes. Mustard seed. Um, yeah. Could be yeah. sitting on top of a field instead of buried. Right. Amen. Yeah. Um, we we generally are terrible embracing the mystery of the Bible. And I think we are confronted with it head on when we talk about the kingdom of God. And if you read the Gospels, if you try to take away all the baggage you have, it's probably some good baggage and some bad baggage. If you try to take away all that and just read about Jesus and who he was and how he talked about his kingdom, it's, it's kind of infuriating, really. It's like, why did you, like, what? 
Like, this doesn't make sense. Why? Like, and, and a lot of the, the people around him at the time, when he was on earth, were thinking, all right, like, here's our king, and this is going to mean a political earthly reign where we don't have to be persecuted anymore, we don't have to suffer. It is our turn right now. He's like, actually, no. Uh, if you're going to follow me, it means you're going to suffer. It means you're going to die. It means you're going to be persecuted. You're going to actually enter into this pattern of death and resurrection in your life if you decide to follow me. And you're like, great, okay. It sounds amazing. Um, so it's, yeah, it's like incredibly upside down, not what we would expect. And, and, and the parables in particular put that right in your face. And you have to just sit in that and deal with that. And they're meant to be disorienting uh, in, in really good ways that deepen our trust in the Lord, that His ways are not our ways. We can actually be thankful for that. Anything else? All right. Thanks for your attention. Thanks for your questions. Let me pray for us, and then off to the next seminar. Our great King and Father, we praise you for this time. Thank you for your word. Would you be with us, be with these students as they go on to their next seminar today. Um, pray for this afternoon. Keep everyone safe. Pray for good friendships to be formed. We pray that we would, um, we would know more of you, our great King. We would embody the values of this kingdom and we would uh, flee to the King who is our rescuer, who invites us into his kingdom by grace, through faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, y'all.